0: Uh, Welcome back to the third and unfortunately final meeting of our wonderful class, What Stops the Plague with Ms. Miriam Gedweiser. Uh, Before we get into our last class this evening, I would like to uh, make people aware of the fact that Drisha will be having some special classes, uh, pre-holiday classes tomorrow night and wednesday night and thursday night so three nights in a row uh same time as this class same place kind of you'll get a different link to log in uh but each will be focusing um on pew so i think each has its own pewte that uh you can look into um, the liturgical poems of the holidays and people will get really in depth and I'm sure it'll be wonderful because I've never experienced a Drisha class that wasn't wonderful, um, but to you know help people uh, get into the holiday spirit uh, because <laughs> we need to do what we can. Um <laughs> but uh, that's my announcement for now. I'm sure I'll have more announcements at the end of class, but I will hand it over to Ms. Gedweiser, who's far more interesting than I am.
1: Today. Thanks for joining. Thanks for sticking with us. Um today I wanted to go backwards a little bit in sefer bimbar. Last time I went to we, we looked at some passages from parshat Pinchas. Today I want to go backwards a little bit. I felt like um well I'm going to say that it wasn't just a historical accident that I put them in this order because I think this the um, some of the themes from today will maybe like tie together both of the previous sessions and also um, it's a little bit of a Maybe more uplifting note than like the Pinchas tree killing people, stopping the plague. Um, we'll see. Okay, so um, I called it the as we'll see where that comes from. Um, uh, this is actually a very long passage. Um, and the real thing to do here is to, oh, that's interesting, um, uh, is, to, is to move backwards in, um, sorry. I'm gonna do a little bit of a little dance. Um, so um, to just to, to, to refresh our recollection, let's say about the story of Korach, which is where we're gonna pick up. Um, Number 16 and 17 are a little, can be a little challenging to follow. Um, not totally our topic, but I just, um, in order to understand this part of the story, we're to need to understand a little bit about what happened before. Um, so here we're going back to the beginning of number 16. Um, so here we are, Vayikach Korach, right? And I'm, I'm not gonna read the whole thing out loud. It's gonna take a while. I'm just gonna sort of go, go a little bit. Um, so Korach took, great question, what did he take? Rashi talks about it the last time. We also saw Vayikach Pinchas, right? He took something, Vayikach seems to be like, you're like, it's sort of like, a, that's, that's sort of how I read it. I don't know if that's what it is. Um, so Korach and, and um, Kurach, who's a Levite, and the Tananaviram, who are, um, and Own Ben Pellet who are Ru'uve nights, come and they come to Moshe, and they, with 250 leaders of the Jewish people. Again, the leaders who last time were basically content to not do anything. Um, well, not these leaders, because these ones are, are already going to be dead by then, by later on into Hif- Seferah, from as we'll see, but okay. Um, so, These 250 leaders who last time were content to do basically nothing about problems, but now are kind of really upset that they don't have so much power. So they come to Moshe and they say, you have too much, you've gone too far. Everybody is holy. What makes you so special? Why do you raise yourselves above the Lord, above the Lord's congregation? Um, So what, what ensues, is sort of a a variety of attempts, sort of maybe trial by ordeal to prove why Moshe and Aaron, or maybe just Aaron in fact deserve their elevated position. Um, And I think that's maybe an interesting way to, to keep in mind. Okay, so if you pull up and Moshe's initial is he falls on his face, right? He doesn't seem to know what to do or how to do it. And then he says to Korach, okay, you know what? Tomorrow we'll have a showdown. Everybody, whichever one Hashem likes, God will bring close to him. I don't know if this sounds any... So there is another story that I think this whole passage is in dialogue with. Um... I don't know if anyone has any thoughts as to what it might be, or we need to go a little further to see. But okay. So I'm just I'm just gonna say that there is another story, I think, that is in in the background here. But okay. Um, so he says, Hashem will show who is his holy one and who he brings close to him, kadosh and karov. Okay. Zotasu. So everybody take fire pans. Right, and put fire in them and put incense on them, and tomorrow God will choose who God wants. What does it seem like the plan is? Right, like, um, what does this mean? How is God going to indicate who God chooses? Not enough talkers today, so I guess I'll answer my own questions, but you can always jump in. Um, right, so I uh, it's possible that it means like you know God is gonna choose God is gonna choose which one to zap basically, right? Um, in a good way, right? God is gonna be like, I choose you. I'm gonna buy, eat this eat, but um, or I don't know exactly what's gonna happen, right? Um, but it seems right like we've had we have other places which is gonna be mentioned in one of or Farshim later, but right? we have other places where groups of people are sort of vying for which ones are like the real servants of God, and it seems like you can sort of present an offering and expect God to choose in some way. Um, Right, so Moshe says, right, is it, you know, after he proposes this plan, he sort of has words with B'nai Korach. Um, and then he says, you know, like, why are you even bothering me? It's God who chose me. And then there's this whole exchange with the Tatan and Aviram, um, right? Um, Moshe, please, praise to God, please don't look towards their offering. Um, Everybody take your stuff, right? Like I said, the text is a little bit hard to parse, but that's okay, right? Everybody take your fire pan. There's 250 of them, and Aaron is also bringing his. Everybody, they do it, right? They do it, right? Everybody to watch, right? Because he thinks he's going to be vindicated, it seems. So this is our second clue, hint, connection to the other story. Did you just have a moment of recognition, mother? Right, so we had people who God is going to bring close to him because they're holy, Karov and Kadosh. And we have God's kavod is going to be visible or made visible. The presence of the Lord will appear to the whole community. Well, there's the story of Eliyahu at HaHaKamel, but that's uh, that's actually many, many centuries later. So in a right. sense- so Maybe that refers to this. This, yeah. right. Right, so Eliyahu at is the story I was thinking of which will be mentioned in one of in the first game right? Where you have like a showdown between two groups who are vying for being the the one true representative, or a group and an individual, right? What about a story from Sefer VaYikra, right? God's presence is made visible. God is going to choose those who are holy to bring close.
0: This is maybe a little off the beaten path, but maybe um, where when Miriam and Aaron are talking about Moshe. And then
1: hashem appears and says actually i like moshe better than you guys um okay so let me think about that right um maybe i'm not sure if maybe this is the word kadosh there right um and or karov right god is there's like this metaphor behold moshe is like a holy tina manhu my mother has correctly noted right, in the chat this is none of an right none of an avihu are going to happen on the day, or it's not Nedevan but but it has Nedevan Avihu resonances. I don't know fully what to make of that parallel actually, but it's like, it's definitely there, I think, right? Nedevan Avihu, remember, are Aaron's two sons who in Sefer Vayikra a few weeks ago, right before Pesach, right after Pesach actually, right? Who who, on the day, right, that got sort of the, the temp, the Mishkan is supposed to be dedicated and, Moshe promises, right? If you follow these steps, the right, God's glory will be revealed to you. They follow the steps. God's glory is in fact revealed to the people, whatever that means. And Then inspired by what people can talk about at, at, for like a long time, right? None who bring their own fire, right, right? It's this sort of strange fire that God did not command. They go into the Mishkan or the Kodesh Kodeshim and they get zapped, right? Um, Right. And, and Moshe says, This is what God has said. With those who are close to me, I will be sanctified, sanctified. Right. So you have this idea of Iraq Vodashem, right? That like the glory of God is being revealed. And there it's sort of like the destruction of the the pretenders, the people who overstepped is part of um, the sanctification through those who are holy. Right. And it seems like maybe something similar is going to happen here. Right. And in some ways, right, and last week, um, one of our guests, right, Zav mentioned this, that like, right, how is Pinchas that different from those people, right? How is Pinchas that different from Nadav and Avihu who did this thing that is not really in the books? Um, And maybe the answer is the motive and we'll see today, right? Here we're getting, and also the fact that Pinchas at the time was not a Kohen. So here we're getting much more, much closer to Nadav and Avihu territory because we're bringing Ketoret specifically, which is the thing that they brought. We're bringing it at, at a time and place that is not encapsulated in ordinary rituals, to say the least right this is not like the ordinary time usually that's like a more of a kipper thing right so and it's sort of it's not even happening in the mishkan as we're going to see later so right there, there's a lot of net of residences and it seems right one might be forgiven for asking whether even aharon is really supposed to do something like this um so we'll, we'll see a little bit of that later right so everybody comes hashem says to moshe right get away from those people because i'm gonna nod at them they get swallowed up um and then, so that seems to be Rome, what happens to them. And then he said, and then at the very end, it will say, um, right, um, sorry. At the very end of this parish, the It seems like maybe Korach himself gets swallowed up by the ground, but the people who bring the Ketoret get, get sort of a, a fire goes out from before God, which is similar to the wording in the Navanabihu, right? And they get consumed, which seems like it's almost like a, a sort of a, it's like a natural consequence of bringing an unasked for Ketorah offering. Okay. So that's our background. Um, ketorah is gonna play a central role in what happens next as well. So first Hashem says to Moshe, right. First of all, tell, order Aaron to remove the fire pans, which is similar to the aftermath of Nadav Avihu. also actually because, um, there Moshe says to Aaron, okay, like, to, or he says, sorry, to two of the other priests, you know, go remove the bodies of your brothers who have been destroyed. Um, but so you have to remove something and, what is, and you should do something with them. They've been sanctified. So you should sort of spill out their contents and you should make them into a, a hammered plating for the altar, which there's a lot to say about as well. Um, and this is a reminder to everybody not to do that, right? Now, here's where I really want to pick up. 10 minutes later, right? The next day, right? So this big dramatic things happens, and it seems like, right, that story is in some ways closed, right? Like the God made God's choice, right? And everybody should be satisfied to some degree, right? And we may not only is like, is our sort of problem done, but we've sort of, set the, we've already created the monument right we already put the stuff on the and we're like okay like well that's settled now um but the next morning people are not as excited, as, as sort of sanguine about it as they may have been the day before right so everybody complained to Moshe you have killed the people of God who are they referring to So remember, the people we we sort of glossed a little bit over it, but the people who've been killed are Korach, wrong, kind of the ringleaders, and these 250 leaders and their families, by the way. At least the families of Korach, Atanabiram, it seems. Who are B'nai Israel sort of sympathetic to or upset about? Or I guess rather, right, is this like a case of them? Sort of similar to what we saw in the Midrash about Pinchas, about right, the people kind of being upset even after it becomes clear that God is sort of smiting them for doing this and saying, you know, who are you, Pinchas? Or is this a case where maybe they're upset because of the large law, as we're going to see in some of Farshim, they're upset because of the, the Am Hashem they're talking about as these 250 leaders, but not necessarily Korach. So we'll see. Right. So everybody is, is um, sort of ganging up on Moshe and Aaron. Last time this happened, they just started, they fell on their faces and cried. This time they turned to the Oham Mohed because they're kind of like, well, God saved us yesterday. Maybe God will come through again today. Maybe, I don't know. And they see that God's presence is again apparent. Um, so Moshe and Aaron come to the Tent of Meeting. By Moshe he and God says, right? Seemingly in the tent of right, get Remove yourselves from this community that I may annihilate them in an instant. They pull up to again, again, right? They fall on their face. They do not remove themselves from the community, right? Similar to how last week God said, right? Like, hang, you know, execute all the leaders or that's one interpretation. And they don't do that. They do something, Moshe does something that tries to be a little bit less um, sort of wide ranging. So he falls on his face, and Moshe says to right? take your fire pan again, put fire on it from the Mizbeh, and put incense on it, and go quickly to the people, the chaper Alehem, and perform atonement, right? because anger has already come out from God, the plague has begun, which again, right, like, actually very similar to last week, right, like, you don't know there's a plague until somebody is trying to stop it, right? So some sort of a plague has begun. It's interesting he calls it hanegef, right? Like as if, well, obviously there's going to be a plague. This is exactly the kind of thing that generates plagues, right? Whatever has happened here, um, it was only a matter of time, and now it's here. And here's what you should do, Aaron: go take your your and your fire pin and fix it, right? He takes what Moshe told him. He runs into the middle of the people, which is going to be, I think, an important image, right? And in fact, it is true as Moshe has told him, right, that the the plague has begun. right. So he puts he there. Then he does the incense and he makes expiation for the people. He atones for them. And he stands between the living and the dead. And the, the so Aaron is sort of like this liminal figure. I'm gonna have a movie reference later for this, um, right? And he st- he stops the plague. It seems like whatever Aron has done is the thing that stops the plague, the, this kapara, but it's kapara that's not achieved by killing people. It's achieved by doing incense, right? By you know, team, and the number is very large, right? 14,700, and Aron and Moshe go back to the temple, to the tent. Okay, so that's our, our passage, right? The passage that actually involves the plague is pretty short, but we have to see it, and actually it continues on a little bit, but not for us. So, right, we have to see it a little bit in context because, right, Aaron and Moshe, um, first they have this trial against the, the Korach people, right, in which God sort of, they all bring incense and God prefers Aharon and the result for the other people is that they get zapped, right, then Aharon sort of uses this same tool, not to zap people, but to save them from the plague. So there's, I'm not sure I fully like have a handle on the symbolism of Katora itself, but it seems like that's probably something here, but I want to, I want to sort of deep dive in a little bit. So as is my custom, I'm going to start with an interesting Gemara that expands on this story. Okay, so I'm Arbi Eshoban Levy. There's a few, so this is from a, a Shabbat 88b. It's a, it's an extensive, extended passage in um, Masechet Shabbat that has a bunch of like a dote of Matan Torah, right? So stories about what happened with Matan mat, Torah. Um, that's one sort of way to locate this midrash in context. Another way is just to note this midrash is going to start. It's a story, of Shlach LaMoshe When Moshe went up to heaven, there's like a whole bunch of midrashim that start that way, and it's just it would be interesting to compare them. It's one of my writing projects that may or may not ever happen. Um, maybe it's already happened by someone else, actually, I haven't checked. So, um, right, so when Moshe went up to heaven, um, so the angels said to God, right, And there's many versions of this that appear all over the like, rabbinic literature. Um, here's this one from Shabbat, right? Um, what is this man of women born doing among us? Right, like, this is... I thought, right? This is like angels only, right? No humans allowed. Amaleh the um, They said, God said, "Oh, that's easy. He's coming to get the Torah." Right? You have this super secret treasure that you've been holding for 974 generations before the creation of the world, and you're trying to give it to flesh and blood. Right? And then they that the Torah exists for like a thousand generations from but like whatever generations means before the existence in the world, I guess, I think it's like, right, it's like 26 generations from Adam to Moshe, that that should be true. Um, so, right, so that's that's sort of why that number comes from, I believe. Um, right, so they're, they're basically like, no, like the Torah is great up here. It was here before people were around. It belongs up here. The Torah is like a heavenly document. It has this sort of like mystical, ser- ethereal significance. Um so, how can a time of occasionally valid a cyber dime? You're going to give it to flesh and blood. You know, like people are basically made out of meat. Um, okay. Is a quote from Psalms, right? What, what's the point of human beings? Why should you even care about them, right? It's sort of taking that out of context where it's said by the psalmist to say, like, you know, a, a human feeling of humility, and now it's the angels kind of putting humans down. Okay. Hashem, um, right? You know, and another another proof text, as it were, right? God, your, your name is glorious in all the earth. How glorious is your name? When you place your majesty in heaven, right? That the majesty, meaning the Torah, should stay in heaven. What are you doing trying to give it to people? God said to Moshe, hey, give them an answer, right? Now, the angels were not interested in Moshe, partly because, like, they think Moshe is not worthy of this whole situation, right? Um, so they didn't ask him, but God was like, oh, why don't you ask Moshe, right? And in some ways, that already is giving Moshe more respect than the angels did, right? It's, it's sort of including him in the conversation about himself. Sorry, let me remove an ant from my keyboard. <sighs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> just makes me anxious to see a little crawling around there. Not that I have anything against our insect friends. Um, so, so, right, so like God has already brought Moshe into the conversation in a way that he hadn't with the previous, that the angels were sort of wanting to talk about him and God's like, well, let's talk to him, right? So he says, Moshe, give them a response. I'm actually a little afraid, right? Maybe like their breath is even gonna burn me, which is sort of an interesting idea, right? And it seems, it feels similar to our text, where if you get too, and to, and to the end of a view story, right? If you get too close to divine, things right either God or the temple or the angels you can get burned as a human right um that like our bodies can't withstand a certain level of spiritual connection um a Marlowe so God said okay don't worry I'll protect you right hold on to my throne it's like home base right? And then you can answer them and they can't burn you, which is also kind of interesting because maybe in its in its sort of like best form, that's a function that the, the OMO8 or the Mishkan can perform as well, which is it gives people the ability for, as sort of like a, or like the Mishkan, I think especially, right? It's constructed to allow people to achieve a level of sanctity that they can't under ordinary circumstances by sort of like grabbing onto the path that God has given them. Um, okay. And then there's a proof text for that as well. Melches paneki say, okay, ama Rabbi, and then actually parshes alav Anano, right? Or parash alav. That shouldn't be the Zion Shouldn't be there probably. Um, the Zion is probably just the footnote call. My mistake. Apologies. So, um, right, right. The one who saw the face of the, uh, he causes him to grasp the front of the throne and spreads his cloud over it, right? So God, the thing that protects you is the cloud, which is interesting only because. Um, Incense is makes a cloud, right? Incense is a cloud as opposed to fire, okay? Um my life has never been overshadowed. Torah, shatan etain li malk right? Um Mara, you say, i sorry. I'm out of the fun of your business. So he says to God, before or before God, well, what does it say in the Torah? Right? Moshe hasn't even gotten the Torah yet. So how's he supposed to answer why he deserves to get it? So he says, Hey, what's in the Torah? It seems like maybe he actually does kind of know, and that's why he can ask this question, because he's a good lawyer and he doesn't ask a question he doesn't know the answer to. So that's an I don't know exactly how to read it that way, right? Maybe he knows the answer to the question and that's why he says, right? So he says, um, what does it say in your Torah? Then he looks to the angels, he says, were you in Egypt? You know, God says, I'm, I'm your God who took you out of Egypt, but were you in Egypt? I missed that part, right? Um, what do you need the Torah for? And then he says, okay, what else is in there? Then it says, you shouldn't have any other gods. And then he says to the angels, well, like, are you hanging out with people who worship other gods? Because like, why would you even think of that? You're up here, right? This is clearly not directed at you. Um... What else is in there, right? Zachor, Deo Shabbat show, right? Oh, it also says, remember the Sabbath day. And he says, well, like, do you guys have jobs that you need to stop doing every seventh day? Like, what is this even? Um, and then he says, Lo Tisa, right? Don't um, don't take the name of the Lord, your, your God, in vain. And then he's like, well, do you even have like Masal Matan? Do you have like things that you would be wanting to take oaths over? Right? He goes through all these mitzvot, right? Do you have fathers and mothers that you would need to honor? Um... Do you have people that you are is murdering like a thing up here, right? Can you commit adultery? Can you steal from each other? Do you even have like these negative emotions that cause all these behaviors? Um, So immediately, they, um, and this is sort of a nice a nice touch, I think. So remember, right, the angels challenge God. God says, oh, Moshe, give them an answer. And the angels, Hodu lo, it sounds like they concede to him, but they're not conceding to Moshe. They're not actually willing to give Moshe the honor of being like, oh yeah, okay, Moshe, you're right. They say to God, right, they concede to God, right, right, they say, God our Lord, how glorious is your name in all the heaven and earth. Well, your majesty, right, it doesn't say um, right? OK. So immediately, right, they, they they did ignore Moshe, but they are going to give him something. Everybody becomes Moshe's best friend. And they gave him something special. As it says, right. You went up high, you took captive, and you took gifts on account of man. The captive may actually be the Torah, and he takes gifts. Um, the meaning of the verse is in a reward for the fact that they called you men, not an angel, as the sort of the side the English is, is uh, explaining. They gave him presents, and this is our, this is for us, right? This whole story. Why we've we been reading the story? It's a great story, but why are we here for this line? As masar davar, even the angel of death gave him something, right? He gets a special secret gift from the angel of death, and here is what it is. Shene um, amar, as it says, and. It in verse, right? He, you know, this is from our story, right? When Aaron puts the, the incense onto his pan, it creates atonement for the people, and the de- the dying stops. Right? And he was able to stand between the dead and the living, right? And then the plague stopped, right? How could Aaron possibly have known that this would work to stop death if not for the fact? that it was a secret passed on by the angel of death when Moshe went up to heaven. Okay, so that's that's sort of one view is that this is like a totally esoteric, weird thing to happen and that it's because, um, right? Because Moshe was sort of able to prove that the Torah, so let's let's actually think it through for a second, right? What was Moshe able to do, right? Why did Moshe get this present from the angel of death? because he was able to prove that the Torah is written for fallible human beings rather than for angels, right? So like that feature of the Torah is the thing that, um, that then allows Moshe to sort of get this super secret thing, Um, which is kind of interesting because part of what atonement maybe is, is for like handling our flaws, right? As opposed to just kind of like, you know, you're wrong, get zapped. Okay, Um, so so whatever Aaron does, it could be that it was passed on as a super secret something from um, the angel of death himself. Um, And that Aaron, we're gonna see later a different version of an encounter with the angel of death in this passage. Um, But so here, it seems like it was given over at least initially consensually. Okay, so there's another Gemara in Zvach, which goes like this. Um, It's talking about different um, exactly what atones for what, which is sort of a funny way of saying it, but there's there have previously been sort of atonement for certain things has been attributed to certain things that the Kohen does or wears. So now we're going to say, is it really so that the priest's vestments atone for these sins, which was the previous position? Here's our brighta, or not really bright, I'm a ben Levi. Two things do not have any kapara, atonement among the sacrifices. Let's translate it as, not offerings maybe, right? But they do have atonement from some non-sacrificial thing, which are, shrihud damim velashon hara. Okay, murder and Lashon Hara. Now, so, for those who are perky eared, we did meet Lashon Hara in our first um, session as perhaps the cause of Askara, this like terrible plague of which the students of Rabbi Akiva died. Okay, so so Amim, so if these things are not atoned for by sacrifices, what are they atoned for by, right? Shbihut right. Amim egla arufa. Right. bloodshed is atoned by the heifer whose net. the egg who this ritual where if you find a body and you don't know who killed it, the pe- the elders from the closest city are supposed to go and perform this whole, so they kill a calf and they say this whole thing basically like, our hands have not spilled this blood. Um, it's like an expiation ritual for when a, when like somebody's, when a death is sort of otherwise unexplained can, and therefore maybe can't be dealt with through like a cr- normal criminal system, for example. Um, okay, so Lash, Arufa, the Lashon Hara make a Torah, right? And Lashon Hara is not atoned for by any sacrifices, right? Ordinarily, if you commit a sin, there's a sacrifice for that. There's a chatat or an Nasham, right? Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the mechanics of those in a minute. I, thought, I hope, later. Right? Um, so Lashon Hara is uh, um, atoned for not by any regular sacrifice, but by the Ketorah. Now, it's interesting. It seems like Ketorah is not That's a korban, right? It's not a thing that you offer to God that then the Kohanim or or the Mizbeach consumes, right? It's something different, right? It's a way of approaching God maybe, but it's not really a korban. Um, So that's just like an interesting thing to think about, right? That like when you bring ketoret, it's not an offering. In the same way, at least in the way this Gemara presents it, right? So when, for example, Moshe suggests bringing Ketoret, he's, he's getting straight to directly to the, like, are you a person who can approach God or not? Everybody can bring as we're going to see later, right? But like, are you a person who can sort of like, you know, this is like the key to the castle. Does it work for you or does it shrink in your hand, right? Or whatever. I don't know. I feel like there's sort of like a fairy tale aspect here. Um, okay. So... How do we know that katorit Right? How do we know that works for this purpose from our pasuk? Right? That when Aharon put katorit out there, it caused kapara, which is sort of interesting, right? Because what sin is katorit supposed to be atoning for in this gemara? Like lashon hara. And like, it's sort of interesting to import that back into our passage from Numbers. Like, well, is, is this case, is the, the situation with Korach or with the people who are sort of upset that, uh, that Moshe has had Korach killed, is that really like a Lashon Hara kind of situation? Um, I don't know, but I do think it, it definitely does, to me at least, have resonances with our Rabbi Akiva situation as well, which is, right, we have these Gemaras connecting Asgara to Lashon Hara and we have other places that talk about Rabbi Akiva's students like not treating each other with um, respect. But that like Lashon Hara in some ways is a stand-in for some kind of societal breakdown or sort of like a breakdown of collective action and collective sort of respect um, in a society, right? And so like, it does seem like that's what's happening with Korach. Similar to last week, right? Like there's sort of a breakdown of of order in the sense of not like leadership per se, the leadership doesn't respond, but last time it's, it's sort of like idolatry and sexual sins, but this time it's, right, there. there is some sort of a breakdown and Lashon Hara is sort of like the, the exemplar of that, which is an interesting thing for those of us who sometimes speak Lashon Hara to be careful about, right? The Tanik Devei Rabbi right? And further, we have a statement in, this, in the name of Rabbi, school of Rabbi Shemal, right? Um, hara, right, right? So he said, that the, remember our Gemara started with this with like what exactly atones for what, but along the way, we're gonna learn some interesting things. Like for example, why should Ketoret, um atone for Lashon HaRa, because according to this statement of the house of Rabbi Ishmael, right? Something that is secretive should come and crawl and give atonement for something else that is secretive, which is sort of an interesting way of thinking about Lashon HaRa and Ketorah, right? What's secretive about Ketorah? Anything. Like it's not totally, I mean, so one possibility I think is that it's brought in the Kodesh Kodeshim, right? You bring it into the sort of secret holy of holies in the Mishkan Mishkan and the Mikdash. Another possibility is that um, the whole nature of Ketorot is that it creates a cloud, right? It sort of always creates privacy. Maybe that's that's how you use it to encounter God, right? Sort of by embracing the mystery and lack of knowledge, let's say. so, right, whereas Lashon Hara is, you know, is sort of a negative use of privacy and concealment in order to sow discord. Okay, right, so we have, so then now the gemara is gonna do its thing, right? You know, like, oh, well, before we said that these two, these two things were atoned for by different things. Um, right, it's true, there's also an incest altar, that's true. Um, but it's still not in the outside courtyard, right? It's, it's one level in from the altar, from the, the big Mizveh, right? I believe this is when, like, not having paid attention to Baikar enough comes back to bite you. But um, okay, so right, so we the Gemara has to like resolve its things and says, wait a minute, didn't we say that um, right at the end? What about the contradiction between whether Katoret is caught is sort of um, sorry, whether Lush and Hara is atoned for by the Ketoret or by the Mi'il of the Kohain. Well, it depends on whether you said Lashon Hara in public or in private. Private Lashon is atoned for by the Ketoret. Great. Um, okay. So, yes, no? I don't know. Um, so here, so where, what do we have so far? We have this story, we have the object that by which people who sort of wielded it illegitimately were stricken down, meaning the Ketoret, is the object by which our own can save them. We have one Gemara suggesting that that's because it's sort of the secret from the angel of death that was given to Moshe once Moshe proved that the Torah is really intended for fallible people, right, as opposed to for infallible angels. Then we have another Gemara that sort of suggests that Ketoret, right, is there to atone for Lashon Hara, this divisive form of sin. Already, I think those two can kind of fit together. Um, okay, I'm going to move on to a third midrash. This midrash is a late midrash, um, as we're this the second thing in here in slightly abbreviated form appears in Rashi, and it's, you know it's one of these situations where you can't tell whether Rashi got it from here or this took it from Rashi because this is a medieval medieval French compilation. Um, okay, it may appear elsewhere. Else. Actually, also don't don't quote me on that, but okay. So there's two passages here. Um, okay. When Ma'aron put the on the pan, what did he do? And he put it in front of the the angel of death. Right? He put it before the angel of death it says, they shall offer your incense to savor. So anyone know where that Pasuk is from? I mean, you can see it. It's from Devarim, the end of Devarim. What con- anyone know the context? Right? So first of all, right, the, this seems to, I guess I'll say, I'll step back, take a step back in a second. Like other than the fact that like it's influenced by a Gemara, why is the Gemara even going there, right? This whole genre of sort of like Aaron confronting the angel of death here, I think is, makes sense in the context of, right? Like God has started to um, smite the people for doing something wrong. And unlike Pinchas, right? Pinchas, as we saw last week, is trying to symbolically correct the people right? By sort of like, you know, making, doing a symbol, like symbol, sort of a, an exemplary killing or something like that. Um, but own is not trying to correct the people, right? Aaron is trying to correct God. And I think that's right, to stop the negative without changing anything on the ground, other than just like go away. And that's where this whole idea of a confrontation with the angel of death or using the angel of death's own tools against him or something like that is coming from, I think. Um, so here, first of all, it says, right, the, the, this quotation, I think, is very interesting. These two midrashim are, are a companion in that they both use quotations from the same passage. So let's see that passage here. This is from the brachot of Moshe at the end of Sefer and He gives the bracha to each tribe. And here is the bracha for Levi, which is the tribe of which Aaron is a member. Levi Amar. Right. Your Tumim and Urim are for your faithful one, right? Tested at Masa and challenged at the waters of Mariva. That's probably Moshe, or maybe right? Like, you know, right. Basically, like, you know, you're a faithful leader, even though the people are always messing up, right? Maybe. Somebody people who said to their parents, their father and mother, I don't care about you. They didn't recognize his his brothers or his sons. Ki-shiru-teche um, so, right? Like they just observe your precepts alone and keep your covenant. Um, this is often referred um, interpreted as referring to right, the, the episode of the golden calf where the tribe of lady went around killing people um, no matter who they were. Okay, so right, like, which is, that's sort of like a Pinchas type moment, right? Killing, like the killing people after the golden calf. But now we have this alternative, right? Your beteche echo, right? They shall teach your, meaning gods, um, laws to Jacob, but your instructions to Israel, like a parallel structure, so they're going to be the teachers, which is the, the image in a lot of sacred environment elsewhere, right, That the, like the, the sort of rabbinic, what we would think of as the rabbinic class is really the priestly class, right, they're the, the sort of a th- legal authorities, um, right, right, You're, so they're going to teach your laws, and they will offer you incense and offerings on your altar, um, so, right, in original context, who is the, the katorit being offered to here by the benelevi? Yeah, to God, right? That's like part of their job, right? They teach the laws, they bring the katorit, they bring the other offerings. Right? So our midrash says, oh, no, no, no. Actually, a right? I don't, it might be that it's in, in sort of, there's something about the word off that makes someone interpret it as sort of like God's nemesis. I'm not sure, right? Or against, or maybe that the angel represents God's anger or something like that. Um, but that's sort of interesting. And I just want to finish the last pasuk uh, here. Right? Bless, O oh Lord, his substance chaylo, right, like chayil, could also, write his substance is sort of, like, his, like, strength or ability, right, well, or dr. favor his undertakings, um, smite the loins of his foe, and let his enemies rise no more, um, which could be taken either literally or metaphorically, depending on how you want to, okay, so our passage, the first thing it does is say, right, we said that, like, you know, Levi and his descendants, or we're, we're going to say later in the Torah, right, Levi and his descendants sort of get, um, the special power of Ketorah. Actually, that special power of Ketorah can be brought directly to face off against like the malachamavit as it sort of instantiates God's anchor. One more, right? Uvein Right. Now this is Aharon. He stands between the living and the dead, which is also kind of interesting because it seems the image is almost like the Magefa is just like sweeping methodically. It's like, you know, one of these like green. Green death things in like a cartoon, right? It's sort of like everybody on one side of a line has it and everyone on the other side doesn't yet. Um, so, Amad Hamalach, the Aharon Minna O, Avor, right? Because, right, it's like almost what's happening is like the Malachamava is just like making his way through with the scythe or whatever, whatever his instrument is called, sickle, I don't know. Um, so, The the angel is there, right? And Aaron stops him from proceeding. And he didn't stop him. He sort of like holds on to his belt or whatever. And he says, right, as it says, and the plague was stopped, um, which it's probably reading about, like, it's probably reading that in some sort of weird grammatical way. And that's why it says about this, it says, God blesses his chayil. Right, chayl, they're probably meaning strength, right? Or like a play on chayal, not as sort of like your valor, like eshet chayal, but your actual strength, like, you know, chayal, right? Um, so a god, right? Aharon sort of confronts the angel of death and God seems to like that, right? Um, this is, but that's, but this is sort of the next pasuk from Devarim. That's why these two Midrashim are companions. Amar melech Aharon ha'makom the angels like hey Aaron um I'm actually like God's messenger so what do you think you're doing right listen like what can I do Moshe told me to hold on to you right to keep you from proceeding right he's like um, that's very nice, but that's not responsive. I just told you I'm God's messenger. And you tell me like, oh, but I'm Moshe's messenger. Like which of those wins are, right? God wins. Um, Sorry. So, um. So Aaron says back, actually, everything Moshe says also comes from God. So this is a God versus God challenge, not a God versus man challenge. Um, and then he says, who's really going to believe you? And then it's just like Aaron basically drags him to the tent of meeting. And that's why it says at the end that Aaron, at the end of our passage that we read, that Vayashav al Moshe Al-Petah, right? Why did Aharon sort of, he went out to the camp, he stopped the plague. Why did he come back? Because he's coming back with the Um So uh, for the... I don't know if anyone feels like this but this also feels like a very kind of fairy tale moment right where you have like this big confrontation between right each person maybe had well, I don't and maybe I'm, I'm sort of like over reading the grim reaper kind of situation but right like you have these people right arwen has his like magical implement and he says like you shall not pass right and then the angel of death is like who are you to tell me i can't pass and they sort of have this like battle of the wills, as it were, and Aharon wins. And this this doesn't quite fit with the idea that Aharon learned this, or that Moshe learned this secret from the angel of death, right? Um, but that's okay. Um, but it seems like Moshe has some secret that he can sort of, he can overpower him in some way. Um, so it's kind of like, right? And I think this image of are basically just straight out defying the angel of death again comes from the fact that like they haven't done anything to fix whatever the underlying problem is that caused the plague well they did yesterday but whatever people are doing now that's caused them to get a plague nothing has changed right they're just saying like low let's not do that um so i think there there's a source at the end that i think really puts that in a nice context um but i i don't know i really like this sort of um this like our own angel of death, like mega confrontations. Like this is like, you know, the end of the season kind of level of drama. Um, so, okay. So there they have it. And here's our Pesach, And, it, and it's, it's, it's it's interestingly similar to our Pinchas, um, our Pinchas moment, right? Like the Aaron's power to do this is connected to him being a Kohain through the citation of these verses about the role of the Levites as sort of the servants of God. Right, that it's, Moshe knows what to do, Moshe is the one with the secret, but Aaron is the one who actually has to do it, in part because it's Aaron's kahuna, Aaron's priesthood that was challenged, but in part maybe because this is the function of the priest, as we're going to see, right? This whole thing of stopping death and protecting people is much more Aaron's vibe than Moshe's vibe. Um, okay, So I'm going to take a step back for a second, back to our sukim. Um, so remember, the people this all started after the whole confrontation with the Levi, with the, um, the Korah people, and God sort of you know de- de- decisively demonstrated that God is on the side of Aharon. And then the next morning, the people are still complaining. So Sforno and the Orochim and more length are going to explain, like, what are they complaining about? Um, and Sforno, I think is, so Sforno is sort of like a preview of what's gonna come up in the next two sources. So I put it here because he's much more concise. Um, so first thing is, right, you have killed the people of God, right? God's nation, meaning like, it's your fault that these 253 plus people are dead. right? right? So what does this mean? You have killed them. Who killed those people? Like how did they die? God killed them. Right. So why do the people come to Moshe and say, oh, you killed them, right? Like, it's pretty clear that if God zaps you, that that's not really Moshe. So it could be, right, Moshe maybe prayed, maybe, like, I always sort of read this as, like, they're sort of blaming Moshe for standing up for his cuboid in a way that, like, um, you know, like, causes this confrontation, but they... This is like a very interesting view. That's like, actually, it's more basic than that, right? Shamarta, right? You Moshe are the one who suggested this confrontation. Shamarta, Lamshina, Super katora. You said, hey, everybody come, let's have this katora face off, right? right right? Which like actually, right, the ketorat is only supposed to be brought by the person who brings the daily offering, right? This is talking about the that my mother mentioned, right? The daily ketorai, right? Katorat is a special thing. It's only supposed to be brought by certain people in certain times and places. And you, Moshe, are the one who suggested to people that they should who are not among those certain people, right? That they should do it. So of course they're gonna get killed, right? You should have picked something different. You shouldn't have picked ketoreth, right? Ktoret is too. Sort of like obscure. Now, of course, that is—that's probably why Moshe picked Ketorah, right? Because the point is, you're not Aharon. But in any case, the idea is right. Like by even suggesting the challenge through which they died, you basically sort of encourage them to, you know, go to their own deaths. Um, okay. Right. These, these actually follow on each other in Sforno. He doesn't say anything in between, right? when Aaron stood between the living and the dead, right? right? Once he's already there, he sort of made his last stand, right? He also stuck around to protect the sick, right? The people who sort of had been stricken by whatever the magefa is, but not yet died, right? Um, Aaron is sort of like a healer, right, in some ways. And this is noteworthy because, which is the opposite of what God had said in the previous chapter, which was get away for. was about to say also, right, get away from these terrible people and I'm just going to kill them all, right? Um, so, right, there's something about Aharon where he's sort of like, he uses the Ketoret, but there's also something about his being present with the people that is important to his, what he's doing here. So that's, both of those things are going to come back in the next two sources, right? Both. That um, there is something about the mechanics of the trial that might seem to an observer to have been sort of excessive, sort of have, have sprung a trap for these people to walk right into, right? Where maybe you could have done it a different way. And also, right, the idea of Aaron's role. Okay, so first I want to talk about the ORHAIM. Um, I wrote this in English, it may not be so good, but it is what it is. Um, I'll just I'll skim it in English because it's very verbose, right? Um, so right, the Ur-heim has a reading of the previous sort of parak where Moshe tries to prevent their deaths by sort of like begging them, like, you guys, you're wrong. And he sort of like tries to, tries to convince them that they're wrong without just sort of being like, okay, God smite them now. Um, but in any case, right, the complaint of the people was about how Moshe made the test of the incense with all of them together, right? Now, so similar to what, what Sforna's saying, right, maybe he should have used a different type of offering. Um, Urchaim is saying, well, he should have, he should have just like, right, there's 250 people who are Korach followers, rather than sort of do this Eliyahu and Harakamal moment of like me versus the 250 guys, right, just like pick Korach, Korach was a leader, Korach will lose, and then everybody else will go away, and they can, they can, their lives can be spared. Um, okay, this is what it says, right, you've killed, they were saying, they were basically saying, Moshe, you set up the situation that sort of doomed them to fail, what's the premise of that? Why did they get killed in the why did those 250 people, let's say, right? So another interesting thing he's saying is that people are not really upset about, like they're happy to see Korach go. They get that he was wrong, but they're upset about the seemingly innocent followers of Korach who were killed, right? And the premise seems to be um, that why do these people get killed? Not because they followed Korach necessarily, right? But because they actually did this thing, like Nadav and Avihu, right? If you touch Ketorah when you're not supposed to, you're going to die, right? So you, even though in their heart they were the same, right? If you had just set up the trial differently, Moshe, so that they didn't have to touch Ketorah, they could have been spared, right? Um, or then he has an alternative view. Um, but like... The, 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 they're, they're both, if you, if you relate to yourself, you can right. they're both basically similar, which is basically right. There's something about this Katoric trial, which is inherently risky in a way that maybe even some other formulations of the trial wouldn't have been so risky. And Moshe, it's your fault that you set it up that way because, and that the people died, meaning that we assume, we don't assume that they everybody with sympathy towards Korach dies, right? It's because of what they did, not because of what they thought, okay. Um, Okay, this I'll read in Hebrew. Right. So basically, according to Orachayim, the, um, the, the sort of cure, right? This Ketoric cure is designed to respond to this critique. The critique is, Moshe, why did you set all these people up to do an inappropriate Ketoric service which would automatically lead to their death? Right, And the answer is, oh no, like that's not what led to their death, right? People can do Ketorah in inappropriate times and places, witness own and live to tell the tale, right? Like own's gonna do a thing that according to you is just automatic. Anybody who does it wrong is gonna die and he's not gonna die because God likes him. And that's the point of this, right? Those people died not because I set them up but because God wanted them to die. Okay, um, that's thing one. Um, and also, right? he sort of talks, he, this is where we see the analogy to Eliel and Har Carmel, right, like, it's actually very, it, it is somewhat challenging, like, how is it that, like, you know, maybe it's not automatic, right, his whole, his point is that it's totally not automatic that you get zapped just because you bring Kator in the wrong place, but, like, actually, that's kind of weird, who says Aaron can just, like, use the Keturit as this magical talisman, right, like, the katorit is supposed to be only brought in certain times and places, and he ends up not saying, for example, right, like, oh, well, it's a secret from the Malachim Abbas, right, but that, um, the katorit actually here, right, is, um, right, like, this is what we call a Hura shah, right, it's like a temporary suspension of the rules that, like, you know, in order to prove you're right or in order to, you know, you have to break the law to save it, basically, right, so we're going to put the, um, the, we're going to do the katorit in the wrong way for the defense of the honor of Aharon and the Keturit In more more broadly. The katorit is not a thing that just kills people, it's God who's behind it all. Okay, um, this is what I really want to, this is, I really like this reference. And I think, right, there's seeds of it, right? So remember, right, Sforno just kind of noticed two things. Sforno noticed, right, one, right, that maybe like the complaint about you killed God's people might be a complaint about the nature of the trial as it was set up, not about sort of why, why did you pick a fight with Korach, right? Korach picked a fight with you, but why did you set it up so that these 250 people had to die, right, number one. And number two, that Aharon is sort of, sticking with the people at a time when maybe God would have told them otherwise to stay away from them. Okay, so, right, and the Orchaim's notice, answer to the first thing is, oh, actually, right, the, the Katoret cure is designed specifically to highlight that it's not the Keturit itself that kills, but that it's God. But here is it, Rav has a different view on how the Katoret cure is designed to sort of like, fix the, or respond, let's say, to the underlying problem, right? I'll read it in English because this is my English because I didn't. I was running out of time crunch. I think there is an, a, a cut and paste available in English, but um, it was. I don't think this was written in Hebrew, so whatever. Um, the claim of the people was surely entirely an ascription of personal guilt, meaning they were saying to Moshe, "It wasn't like we don't want a leader. It was like Moshe, you're a bad leader. We should be." The leader right? It wasn't like we want a different form of government. It was just like, we want to be the leaders, not you, right? Um, it was all sort of like this sort of, it was very personal. I think that you see that in some ways by Moshe's emotional reaction to what's happening, that he doesn't have a good argument um, about like why, other than like, you just have to trust me that I'm right, right? Or similar, right? He says like, you know, I never, t- I, like, right? I never took anything from them. It's sort of, it's, it's about his leadership as a person and maybe Aharon also. Okay. Um, if that's what you want, Right. So God said to Moshe, if you want, remove yourself from them and I'll destroy the masses who rise against you. Meaning God's saying, look, listen, Moshe, I'm on your side. Right. In some ways, this is what the people say in the previous thing. Right? I'm on your side, whatever you want. Like, I'll just zap all the bad guys. Right. And I'll, then you'll have your, you know, your kingdom again. Right, um, but Moshe and Arun didn't do that. Rather, they fell on their faces. This is already in chapter sixteen, right? God says, "Right, like I'm so angry with these people, just like get out of their midst, and I'll zap them." And Moshe and Arun are like, "No, actually, that's not what we want." Right? Um, so they sort of they stayed there. They basically use themselves as human shields for the people, which is a precursor to what's going to happen later, where Arun becomes the shield for for the people who are dying in the plague. Um, They didn't act according to the intention that the upstars masses ascribed to them. So here he says right again, right, this, this cure itself sort of undercuts the accusation, right? In the Orachai, it undercuts the accusation that sort of you automatically kill people by using Ketorat, but here it undercuts the accusation that Moshe and Aaron are selfish, right? That they're in it for themselves and they're not good leaders because, right, they're willing to make sort of to take it from the people in order to save them right, they didn't act according to the intention that the upstart masses described to them, they did not seek the death of those who harm them, and they refused to be agents of death among the people of God, right, meaning they could have, if they had done what God said, right, you know, like, get out of the people, they would all die, and Moshe are like, no, actually, our job as leaders, as good leaders, is to not do that, to keep them from dying, right, Um, rather our own Ran into the midst. I really like the scripture. He ran. but right? he ran into the midst of the people, um, which is already a judge to death. Right? God is already killing them. Right? And Arum could have. They could have. They didn't have to leave, but they could have also like not intervened. They could have just been like, God's going to do God's thing. Right? This is, these are two slightly separate parts of the narrative. But okay. Right? So um, he ran into the middle of people who were already a judge to death, and he gave expression to giving himself over to God in heart and soul. Right it's not necessarily a simple thing, right? There's a plague in in these other midrashim, there's like, there's the guy in the black with the sickle, like walking around in the camp and Aaron like runs up to confront him, right? He's taking a personal risk to some degree, Um, right? And this, the expression of his incense, which is the instrument of getting close to God is the expression of his devotion, right? But his devotion, not just to God, but to the people, it seems like, right? So he stood between the dead and the living, like an agent of atonement and salvation. This way, Aaron showed the people his true character and the true nature of his appointment to redeem and to defeat death. Okay, right? So I thought this was very interesting, right? Because basically, right, again, the, the, the katorat cure parallels the accusation, but the accusation is you don't care about us. And Arnold's like, no, no, no. I care about you so much that I'm gonna use the instrument of my profession in an inappropriate way in order to save your life, right? Um, that like, even though you hate me, I can't let you go, right? I'm gonna run, I'm gonna sort of go and be there with you in your suffering, right? And try and pull you out again. Um, and in general, right, this is the idea of defeating death as the purpose of kapara. Um I was reading, I read the second hand, but I'll, I'll believe it, um, that that uh, Jacob Milgram writes in the, that like that's sort of how expiation works in the ancient Near East, right? That like you sort of, or in the in the Bible, which is not true in all of the ancient Near East, right? That like the, the sacrifice represents the sort of like, the death of the sacrifice is like the impurity or the guilt that you're trying to expiate. And the Kohanim eating it is showing that they triumph over it, right? That life triumphs over it. But right as opposed to in other cultures where the thing itself becomes so impure that nobody can consume it, the idea of consuming it shows that the Kohanim are sort of um, they're the agents of triumphing over impurity. But actually, like it's not a mechanistic process; it happens through the sort of through God's actions in the Mishkan, and then the Kohanim can sort of symbolically eat it. Um, that might have been a little bit garbled, but um, right. There's something here about right, Kapara, right? Like in some ways the role of the Mishkan and the role of Aharon always is to help people defeat death. And here, this is just sort of like the most extreme instantiation of it. Um, but I, for my sort of pulling it back and I, I see the time, so I'm just gonna say a sentence or two, right? Pulling it back, thinking about Rabbi Akiva, right? I said in the first day, right, with the Akiva story, it's not clear what stops the plague, but it's pretty clear what starts it is sort of like mistreatment of each other and discord, and um, you know, disrespect. Maybe um, in this case, it seems like what stops it is the opposite, right? Aharon is the person we call Hif Shalom or Dave Shalom, right? He's always sort of seeking peace, even at, at the expense of truth, right? Um, in in a variety of sources, so right that. What stops, what starts the plague is the same, right? Discord and hatred and lashon hara. And what stops it is going to be Aharon's willingness to sort of like, like the leader's willingness to sacrifice himself and to be with the people, even at a risk to himself. And that's in some ways what it means to sort of like confront the angel of death, right? That like, you know, if you're going to sit back and let the people die or you're going to run away scared, you're never going to be able to really sort of um, stop these negative, things from happening, right, these plagues, but if you, the willingness to confront it is what allows him to actually succeed in confronting, I guess I would say. <sighs> um, so thank you so much for joining these three sessions. I think that the Piyut stuff, I, I happen to love Piyut, so if you do too, I think you, I would, I encourage you to go to the, the other sessions this week, and um, thank you so much, Noah, as well, for facilitating.
0: So thank you. Ms. Uh, Gedweiser, as always, for a wonderful class, and to everyone who joined us here on Zoom, on Facebook Live, and on Drisha Live, we really appreciate having you as part of our learning community. I would also like to plug those classes we have coming up tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night again. You can learn about them and register on our website, drisha.org slash classes, and I do believe that we still have some spaces in our uh longer term summer programs so uh there is going to be the annual um I want to characterize it as um Torah Summer Camp um <laughs> for teenage girls and if I were a high school aged girl I would definitely love be doing that if I were uh a caregiver of a high school age girl, I would definitely want to uh, be sending her away um, for something so nice. And uh, we also have Colel, which will be meeting online. So if you know someone who might be free for three or six weeks, uh, I would love to have more classmates. And I hope that everyone stays well and we see you again very, very soon with more Drisha programs. Good night.